Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. I speak these words in Los Angeles, where the city and county are under lockdown to combat the coronavirus. We're pretty well confined to our homes, unless our work is essential, but we need to be out shopping for food or taking care of medical needs. The idea is to avoid what's currently unfolding in Italy, where morgues are running out of space. Makes little sense for me to provide any figures on the coronavirus. By the time you hear these words, those numbers will be much higher. In the midst of all the coronavirus news yesterday, my wife, La Gloria, did something wonderful. A worker from the gas company came by to check to make sure there was no gas leak in my home. Went around to make sure everything was okay, and it was. I was grateful for his diligence, time he took, and before he left, I offered him a little cash as a tip, but he refused to take it. My wife was standing behind me, though, with a present for him. A roll of toilet paper. You would not have believed the happiness that flooded this guy's face the instant he saw that roll of toilet paper. He told me that he and his girlfriend couldn't find any at the stores. The toilet paper and paper towel shelves have been bare recently, and his supply was running low. As he departed with that roll of toilet paper, you'd have thought by his smile that that roll of toilet paper was made of gold. Now, I look for ways to find more of those smiles in these times, and I hope that this episode will lead to a lot of them because a good idea came out of it. The podcast is with my pal Chris Shembra. Chris is from Hilton Head, South Carolina. He's been a producer on Broadway where his shows have won 14 Tony Awards, seven Emmys, a Grammy. But if you asked him what he considers his greatest accomplishment, he would quickly tell you it's the way he brings people together through pasta. That's right, pasta. Chris has had some troubled times in the past and often felt isolated and lonely. A few years back, he was alone in a tiny Manhattan apartment cooking pasta for himself when he realized something was missing. People. He soon invited over like 16 strangers, had everyone share in the tasks of assembling the dinner, put the pasta in the pot at 7.47, and then everybody came together at the table to break bread. He did this week after week, did it for free. And during these dinners, he asked people questions about the gratitude they felt for others. The guests told stories. Tears flowed. Deep connections, joy, and friendship grew out of these meals. Businesses got wind of what Chris was doing and started to hire Chris to bring their employees together through these meals to make employees feel like family. The time the pasta got put in the pot, 747, became the name of his company. Since 2015, Chris has worked with more than 150 companies and brought upwards of half a million people together through pasta. He wrote a book to celebrate this success called Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection, and was just about to go on book tour. And then the coronavirus struck. And for a while, there can be no book tour or more of Chris's community dinners. So, Chris and I thought it would be cool to do this podcast over pasta from 3,000 miles apart. We set up a connection through Zoom. We ate pasta together, a little garlic bread, and talked. Just what we needed. It immediately became apparent to me that this would be a beautiful thing to arrange for listeners of Big Questions. I'm going to organize meals at specific times where we can get groups of listeners of Big Questions from around the world to dine together over the internet. We'll all be able to see each other and hear each other through the connection made by a Zoom link. We'll talk about life. We'll talk about the food we're eating. We'll make unexpected friends. We'll all become exponential 
at a time when many of us feel isolated. So if you'd like to have breakfast, lunch, or dinner with me over the internet, let me know. Just email me at calfussman.com. I realize that people listen all over the world and breakfast for me in Los Angeles may be dinner in Europe, but that's cool. I'll set up a bunch of meals at different times on different days, and Kevin, the manager, will be your maitre d'. So just email me at calfussman.com if you'd like to make a reservation. We'll start serving sometime during the week of April 1st. Dress will be casual. I'll probably show up in my sportique threads because that's how I'm most comfortable. And if you'd like to as well, you can always go to sportique.com. That's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com and check out those hoodies, sweatpants, comfy tees, and chinos. Use the offer code CAL for a 20% discount. I'll talk with Matt and Jason to see if we can arrange some sportique giveaways at these meals. You never know where this can lead. Look at how many people have been influenced by Chris Shemba and his pasta sauce. Chris's dinners will return over time, and you'll see why they're so special when you hear him ask me a big question about gratitude in this conversation. So let's get straight to it. We got the pasta, the cheese. Oh, I got a little garlic bread. Did you do a little garlic bread? I got I got some sourdough in there. The um, Italians, not so much good at making bread as the French are, but uh, any bread will do, that's for darn sure. Well, these, I got French baguettes there. Yeah. So you're doing the whole. I guess I'm pasta. doing this. You're doing, a, you're doing do, the pasta French. I'm doing style. a French thing. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Let's just start with how you got to this place, mm. eating pasta with people. I know that somehow it starts with Bill Gates. Just start telling the story, and we'll pick it up to this point where it's you and I seeing each other. We're 3,000 miles away. We're both eating pasta. We're communing, and maybe this will lead to a much bigger place at the end. Oh, man. I'm so excited to share the story, and you're such a big part of this story that uh, I'll, I'll never be able to tell the story uh, big enough with you in it, but but for right now, our you know our story starts in July of 2015. It was a time in my life I had already been in show business for about five years. I had a successful career producing Broadway plays, touring shows, big social campaigns. I was really having a lot of fun with it. Well, in July of that year, I had just gotten back from Italy after producing a Broadway play over there. Italy was amazing. It was food, it was culture, it was wine, it was cuisine. When I got back to New York City, though, I realized I felt four things. Lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, and insecure. My life in New York, day to day, was not like my life on the Italian Riviera. In that dark space, which I knew I was capable of going any of which places, I'm the guy with the suicide, depression, jail rehab on the resume, I knew I had to get out of that dark place pretty quick. So in between going to work and coming home and going to bed, I would start fiddling with food in my kitchen, and one day I accidentally created a, a pasta sauce recipe and figured I should probably feed it to people to see if it's even good or not. So I decided I would invite 15 of my friends over to our home on the Upper West Side to try out the sauce. 6.30 p.m. cocktails began. 8 p.m. dinner was served. But at 7.47 p.m., we put the pasta in the pot. And because I was a lazy fella, I invited my friends into the kitchen to help create the meal. We delegated 11 specific tasks. They worked together. They served each other. kind of 
removed the ego and allowed us to sit down for dinner. So we had pasta, we had some amaretto, we did some Ooh, love amaretto. cool kind of stuff together. And towards the end of the evening, after two hours of drinking and dining, I asked a simple question. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? I thought that was a better question than what's your biggest fear? What's your biggest failure? That, that, those kind of questions make people clam up. And this question got people to open up and share some stories about people in their life. A bunch of them cried. They loved the sauce. And so I said, hey, I'm free next Thursday. You want to do this again? <laughs> so we kept doing the dinners. And the rule was very simple. The first time you come, you come alone. Second time you come, you bring a friend. And after that, they were eligible to nominate someone. So with, with no rhyme or reason, we started hosting dinners every week, once a week, for free in our home, in our 350-square-foot studio apartment with a Murphy bed on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And uh, eventually it became a thing. What does a thing mean? And hold it. How did Bill Gates come into this? You know, that, that, was, a, that was a little bit later in the story. On Saturday, October 6th, 2018, I was out at a wedding, my buddy's wedding in Washington. And it was a buddy from New York City. I had known his side of the family. I would yet to meet the bride's side of the family. So during the reception period, the bride's side of the family would come up to our New York table to thank us for making the long trip to support. And every time someone would come up, I'd stand up and engage them, whether it was the mother, the father, the godfather, whoever, I'd stand up and I'd ask them this gratitude question. The mother would talk about her mother. The father would talk about a minister, et cetera, et cetera. And the mother loved the question so much. She literally said, this is one of the greatest questions I've ever heard. Take a walk with me. I said, all right. And she walked me over to the cousin's table. And she looked at the cousins and said, this is Phoebe's friend, Chris. And he's going to write a book about the findings of a question he's about to ask you. I said, what? Am I? That was news to me. So I asked them the gratitude question, and all the cousins cried. You know, the mother had cried, the father had cried, the godfather had cried, and pretty soon she was passing me all around the wedding asking everybody the question. Well, later in the evening, I saw out of the corner of my eyes the bride's father gently grab the wrist of an older gentleman way across the way, across the venue and slowly walk him in our general geographical vicinity through the crowd of people, over the crowded dance floor, past the bar, calmly saunters up to me and says, Chris, you got to ask Bill the question. You got to ask Bill the question. Well, that was Bill Gates. And I said, all right. Well, before I had the chance to ask Bill the question, he got interrupted and he got pulled away. I said, oh my God, <laughs> I blew it. I missed the one opportunity in my life. And pretty soon, me and my girlfriend Molly, we found ourselves on the dance floor, and Bill and Melinda came up and danced with us. I had sparkly shoes on, my girlfriend's gorgeous. We had a great time. By the way, Bill's <laughs> a great dancer. Phenomenal rhythm. Well, we all got tired, went our separate ways, I put my head in my hands and I looked at my girlfriend and I said, I can't believe I blew my only opportunity to ask Bill the question. She said, you didn't blow anything. He's right over there. Go ask him. I said, I, I can't ask him now. She said, you'll regret it for the rest of your life if you don't. <laughs> and I went and I got to sit down and Molly came and joined. We got to sit down with Bill and Melinda for a long time, talking about the finer things in life. We led with the gratitude question. They opened up. Literally, Bill became this like 13-year-old boy, all giddy, looking up into the stars, kind of talking about 
all the things he had learned from this like older brother figure in his life that he'd always looked up to. He'd always been inspired by. He was talking about his old buddy Warren, Mr. Warren Buffett. And I said, holy crap, if that question can get me in the door and in the room with Bill and Melinda Gates, I need to devote my entire life to this question. And so after four years of producing dinners, we figured, hey, we should probably write a book about this. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, hang on here. I never heard that story before. How come you never told me that before? I, so it, I, here's I'm the thing. shy about it. Here's the it. thing. You created a business out of these dinners. Yeah, you know, early on, when we were just doing the dinners, we had one goal. Host a dinner every week, once a week, for free in our home. We fed 808 people in our small studio apartment. And along the way, two things happened. One, I woke up in my bed, 2 a.m. on a Monday, February of 2016, bawling my eyes out, realizing for the first time in my life, I was starting to feel a little bit of joy. See, my greatest insecurity, both growing up and now, is that I'm always the last one called to the party. When you're known for knowing people, sometimes you get forgotten about. We call it the catalyst dilemma. And that being forgotten about is what drove me down the road of the suicide, the depression, the rehab, and it plagued me all my life. And I realized on that Monday morning that I was starting to turn it around. That insecurity that led me to addiction and rage and despair was now becoming my strong suit because I was finally getting to create the gathering and serve the people. They had to come to me. And pretty soon, we got so well known for creating these safe spaces for people to gather, the company started calling us. We had created such great raving fans and friends around the dinner table that they acted like word-of-mouth advocates, and we slowly started getting some business opportunities. So how did that work? Like a business would call you in and you would just come with the pasta and the sauce and the bread, a little cheese and maybe some wine, and you would have everybody create the dinner and then sit down and answer the gratitude question. What companies are now waking up to realize is that the way of connecting with their clients and partners and teams needs to be completely changed, right? 51% of the American workforce reports being lonely on a consistent basis. The Surgeon General of the United States says that's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day, seven years off your life. And companies are starting to wake up that just doing business digitally or through some kind of marketing funnel or B2B sales tactic does not work. You need to create in-person, real, authentic relationships. If you can bring emotion into a B2B sale, you 2x the impact of getting that deal. They're more likely to buy from you, refer you, spend more money with you, on down the lines. And so instead of these companies saying, hey, we got to go to San Francisco and bring some clients together. Hey, what's, what's the fanciest restaurant in town? Yeah, rent out the back room. Well, that doesn't work. They've been doing that for years. And what has that led us? So they saw that we could produce a different kind of experience that actually gets people connected on a human-to-human level instead of just walking into the back room of a restaurant and being hustled in and out the door. People buy from people, not from companies. And if you can get them to open up and be vulnerable, you create connection, which ultimately leads to revenue. So you get this started, and how far does it go? You know, it went pretty slow to start. We had to go and educate a lot of companies that they were doing this whole relationship building thing uh, the wrong way. And at the start, 
we'd say, all right, we'll sell a dinner here. We'll sell a dinner there. Sell a dinner there. And what we realized is that's not a sustainable model. We need to sell bigger packages of 10 dinners here and five dinners there in order to serve more and sell less. And we ended up realizing that we were originally trying to sell into the wrong people. We were originally trying to sell into marketing managers and people that ran different divisions within companies, but we really needed to sell into the C-suite. We need that founder who's raised a lot of money, who's got a bunch of employees, and wakes up and, and says, you know, I'm one of the most successful people on the planet, but I feel lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, and insecure as well. Chris, let's go on a road show. And once we realized that we're not just here to help them build better relationships to make more money, we're here to solve a little bit of hurt that most founders feel. You know what? I remember talking to Frank Blake, uh, who is the chairman of the board at Delta Airlines, uh, and he was the CEO at Home Depot. And every weekend, I believe, he was seated at the head of a table somewhere in America with a group of people who worked at Home Depot, all kinds of people. He obviously understood the same thing. It's an amazing way to connect with people. And plus, once everybody starts working on it together, there's sort of an equality that comes out of this. And people can be more natural, relaxed, and, and good things are going to happen. So you create this company, and how far are you able to take it once you make this realization that if we go to the C-suite, that's our sweet spot. You know, it's an, it's an interesting question. You know, when you ask how far can we take it, what some of your listeners might be asking is, well, how do you scale it? And our answer to that was, we can take it as far as my limits go. We are creating a company that doesn't need to scale. This is my art. This is what saved me. This is what I will be doing for the rest of my life. We get to produce between 70 to 80 dinners a year. We get to serve some of the fastest growing companies on the planet. And once we hit that capacity around the dinner table, we were able to branch off into different revenue lines. This year, we came out with a book called Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection. Eventually, we'll get into coaching and online courses. And so it's become this wonderful kind of diversified company where we get to dive deeper into the thought leadership that giving gratitude to others will ultimately help you become less lonely, more connected to yourself, and is ultimately great for your business. Okay, so all that is beautiful, and then, bam, the coronavirus hits. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're laughing, uh, because, hey, look, it's same thing that happened to you happened to me, because I speak at events with a lot of people, and all those have been canceled. So I imagine all your events have been canceled. We were right in the middle of our book launch, had right an entire pack schedule, and then one day it just goes, poof, evaporates. But, you know, it's an interesting timing. If you think back to how we started our dinners in the first place, it involved me going off to Italy, coming back to New York, realizing I was lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure, and boom, there started the pasta dinners. Well, now 
we're in a pretty similar situation. When I wrote the book, I said the first thing I got to do with the book is go show it to Italy. So I grabbed my dad. Oh, no. <laughs> and we flew over to Italy with the book. And we showed the book to Italy, right? I, I fell back in love with Rome. And I went to see Massimo Bottura at Osteria Francescana, number one restaurant in the world in 2016 and 2018. I, I filled my heart with the goodness. But coronavirus was in the north of Italy at the time. And it was a race against time to rush back to America. So we got back to America. We entered into a mandatory 14-day quarantine where yet again, like July of 2015, I found myself lonely, isolated, disconnected, and insecure. It's time for another aha moment. And being in the human connection business... Interesting time during a pandemic. <laughs> well, but, hold on. We are, we're now looking at each other on Zoom. We both got our podcast equipment out. We both got a bowl <laughs> of pasta in front of us. So here's the question. What's the pivot? How do you take a sense of connection? Now, I, I got to say, I'm going to give you something to think about here was I can remember when I was working at Esquire magazine, this was uh, probably about right before the great recession in 07 and 08, I was interviewing icons who shaped the history of the world over the last 50 or 60 years. And there were times when I wondered, you know what, why not do one of these interviews on Skype? And the editor said, no, 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 no. We've been doing this for a decade, all in person. You've always gone, sat down with the people that's part of this process. And they said, no, we, we want you to go. And then the Great Recession hits, and guess what? All the budgets just get slashed. And now... They need to do this because they don't have the money to fly all over the place. And so I get the green light and I started to do some of these interviews on Skype and I realized something that was a little shocking to them. And that is that when I look into my computer for a Skype interview, or we're on Zoom now, you are about 18 inches away from me. Maybe a little more now because I got the pasta and the microphones. <laughs> but without that, maybe even 8 to 12 inches away, where my eyes are looking into your eyes at 8 to 12 inches, whereas if I'm doing the interview in real time, in real place, we might be 3 feet away, 4 feet away. I was actually much closer. Hmm to the person on the computer. So I had no problem with it. I, I felt just as comfortable doing interviews over the computer as I did in the room. It was a great saver of time, and I, I felt just as engaged. We laughed just the same. Obviously, you don't have those experiences before where you're walking in and maybe seeing somebody's office and seeing a photo and asking about it. But the actual conversations were pretty much the same. So I believe that the pasta can travel through the internet. The question is, how can your business move forward in that way? How can we take this pasta and put it through the internet? Well, A, the good news is we jar our own bottles of pasta, so I can always ship you one to eat while we're on the interview. <laughs> okay, I, so we can I, get your pasta. I can imagine. No, I don't know where we'll go. I just know we have to maintain the principles of when our dinners first started, which was serve the people, 
get them together, ask the gratitude question, listen to what they want. If you look out at the world right now, there's a lot of companies that are putting out emails saying, this is what we're going to do. I don't think that people can necessarily know what their community wants before asking what they want. And so like we did around the dinner table so many years ago, we got to go on a listening tour. We may not turn our virtual dinners into a business anytime soon. We may just give them away for a whole year. Well, that, that's what you did at first, right? Yeah. That's how it got we, started. I believe, and I, I wrote an article about it one time, we, I believe we went from passion to profit, and it took 18 months. The first year was all free. Just gave it away. Lived off my life savings, lived off the generosity of my parents, ate rice and beans at the time. The next six months, so 12 to 18 months, was like a little bit of a break even. We just charged enough money to get by. But on January 15th, 2017, that 18-month to the day mark, we signed our first huge contract and, and it became a big profit. And so I'm in a good position to, to give away my facilitating duties as much as possible to go on a listening tour to hear what do people want. And maybe I should have included a techie in this conversation because, uh, and we're filming this so people can see some of the bloopers beforehand where I couldn't even <laughs> get these little foogie-doos in my ear right and... I got all this equipment. I have no idea what I'm doing with it. <laughs> but I'm wondering if we had a techie here and he knew how to get like 36 people on the screen and enable them to talk so that the other 35 could be listening all at the same time. Is that something that would work for you? Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, we, we've actually done some of that in the past, and it's been amazing. Uh, so, for instance, we're doing this call on Zoom, uh, but there's also a, a whole host of different technology platforms that allow a lot of people to come on and, and hang out. What we envision is having the ability to not only facilitate one to many, so let's say 200 people, let's say a company's got a division with 200 people and they're all working remote right now. Well, you got to engage those 200 people. So we have to have the facilitation ability to facilitate their connection and we have to have the technological ability to then break up that group of 200 into like 70 groups of three and let them connect on three-person groups during our call. And so we have to figure out the ability to do both all within an hour span, which luckily technology can, can let you do that these days. So when you think about it, you got everybody separated, everybody's at home. Uh-huh. Doing it through the internet would actually help you connect even more people. We've done keynotes where it's been 30 people in the office, but a couple hundred were Skyping in. This was a company in um, Westchester, New York, in Rye, New York, and we had the office. So I was there in person with the office and then a couple hundred people from Australia, India, Europe, the West Coast, all dialed in. Now, keep in mind, it was about 1 p.m. New York time, which meant it was 10 a.m. on the West Coast. It was 1 a.m. in Australia. It was midnight. Wow. It, it was amazing. And we got about 25% of those people to cry. It was great. I mean, the way our dinners work, if less than six people cry, we consider it a failed night. 
That's the only metric for success I have. I don't care if the companies that are doing dinners with us, if they go out and close billions of dollars worth of deals after, I don't care about what they do. I mean, I do, but I care about the people who cry right before my eyes. Because if someone cries eating my pasta sauce, answering our gratitude question, I don't have to wonder if they were affected in a positive way. Crying is the physical release of emotion. I know they got it. I know they were present. And so we've made people cry virtually (laughs) as well. And the cool thing is we're able to then connect the people afterwards based on what they shared. So here's an example. Whether we're producing an 18-person dinner, producing a 400-person dinner, producing a 1,000-person Skype session, it's a five-part linear narrative. Gratitude leads to values. Values leads to stories. Stories leads to empathy, and empathy creates connection. So first, you have to put yourself in the headspace for gratitude, right? You're going to put yourself in the headspace of knowing that you don't really have that much not in common with the other people, right? So there's a little bit of connection. We all have a little bit of loneliness, unfulfilled, insecure, disconnected, shame, regret. All those emotions will set the scene for gratitude. So when we ask our gratitude question, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? Now, Cal, how would you answer that question? Well, my wife is sitting right in front of me, so (laughs) I better say my beautiful wife. I mean, when you think about it, my kids came to me through her. She's been incredibly supportive and in some really difficult times. Never, never once made me feel like Uh, I was going the wrong way. She always fully allowed me to be myself. That's not an easy thing to do. And I'm very grateful to have married somebody who gave me the freedom to be myself. Her way of showing support, is that a type of support that you were used to growing up? Or was her way of showing support completely different than any other way people had supported you in your life? Uh, the, The level of support was equal to the level of support I got from my mother, except my mother just thought I was crazy. My wife accepts it as being me. You know, you know, think of it. When I was in my early 20s, I basically had achieved what I had set out to do. I wanted to be a newspaper columnist. And very early on, I got to a place where my picture was in the paper and my words were underneath that picture. And it was what I had dreamed of doing. I quickly went to work at a magazine in New York that was an amazing place to get a start as a writer. Uh, And I was around all great creative people and great writers. And then that went out of business. And then I took off uh, around the world uh, for, you know, what ended up being like 10 years, making the same kind of connections that you're talking about, where I'm meeting people on buses and trains and they are inviting me into their homes and showing me their food and giving me the world. And when I think back, while I was doing that, my mom was back in the States and my mom wasn't seeing me at the dinner table. And there was no iPhones back then. You know, maybe you would get, I'd get to a phone, you know, once a month and just call in and say hello for a few minutes. And there was not much my mom could do about it, although when I 
look at it now that I have three kids, uh, 18 to 25, I see how my mom would have liked me to be there. And uh, the great thing about my wife is that she's always allowed me to get the most out of my life without a sentence of obstruction. That's like such a beautiful thing. I mean, I don't know how many people I could have met in the world that I could say that about. So now she's crying. (laughs) You didn't make me cry. You made her cry. (laughs) Oh, man. What's your wife's name? Uh, Gloria. Gloria. She's, She's Brazilian, yeah. And what are what are five values that Gloria stands for? Love, 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 and love. Woo wee! Unconditional love. And 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 when's a time in your life in which love has been shown up by you, from you? When I've given out love, wow. You know, I've always gone out of my way to help people. And sometimes, I'm looking back now, sometimes it's been like the parent on the airplane who, when the oxygen mask comes down, is putting it on the kid first rather than on the adult first. And there are times, looking back, maybe I should have taken care of myself first. But my instincts have been to help people when they need it. And I've always reached out with a generosity of spirit. And when people send me emails or, you know, mention that I impacted their life, it's good to hear that gratitude. Well, I don't know if you poured a glass of wine with your pasta sauce, but I'd like to give a cheers to Gloria <laughs> okay. and to love. Oh, <laughs> I got, you know what? I forgot my glass of wines in the other room, but. Uh, cheers. <laughs> cheers to Gloria. Cheers to Gloria. And I will drink that wine. Uh <laughs> As soon as we disconnect, I'll drink it with her. It's really beautiful because you just reached her in a in a wonderful way. And you know what? Like it's something that I would not have directly said to her today if we hadn't had the conversation. So I think it's it's a beautiful thing that you do, uh, establishing this sense of connection with people. And I hope that you can figure out a way to just whip this forward into the future because the essence of it is the same. Whether you had the 18 people in your little New York apartment or whether you're going to fill up a computer screen with faces, I'm telling you this lesson that I learned while I was interviewing people is resonant. You will be able to make the same connections over the internet that you were able to make face to face. Where that goes, I don't know when, (laughs) I don't know where, but I will tell you (laughs) that my wife just brought me this glass of wine because she wanted to be toasted. (laughs) And you know what? It's it's a very interesting thing you, you just did because so many people around the country, around the world, are probably feeling really down today. And yet, this conversation, well, you made my wife cry, but you made me laugh, and I got a glass of wine in my hand. <laughs> and this may be... Part of the solution, we'll see where all this is going over the next two weeks or a month. But as you know, I used to be a technophobe. 
But I, I think this is the moment that I am going to fall in love with the techies. I'm going to reach out to find the right techies to be able to fill the screen with faces so that we can all communicate, we can all connect, because your formula is spot on. You've proved that it works. And I know that it's going to work in whatever incarnation you take it going forward. And maybe there are people listening to this podcast who also have ideas. Uh, if they want to reach out to me at calfussman.com, they can send them along. Chris, if they want to reach you, how can they reach you? They can just email info at 747club.org or find me on LinkedIn, Chris Shembra on LinkedIn. Okay. Again, I'm going to wrap this up by saying you made a day that a lot of people think is uncomfortable, maybe even lousy. You made it a wonderful day for my wife, Gloria, and myself. So thank you. We will dive into the pasta, dive into <laughs> the wine, and get your book. Yes, my friend. Well, it, it, you know, it's been a, a tremendous honor to be with you today. I, I'll still never forget November of 2017. I was sitting front row in between... Novak Djokovic, I think Jeff Bezos was over there, and it was you at Summit LA interviewing our dearly departed Kobe Bryant, and Kobe had just came out with Dear Basketball, which you screened on it, and and I didn't even listen to Kobe. I bet Kobe had one hell of a good speech. But I didn't even listen to Kobe. I watched you do your magic. And it was like watching someone sitting in a chair with 80 post-it notes in your head. No matter what Kobe ended the previous sentence with, you could pluck one of the post-it notes out of the air and you could keep guiding the conversation around creativity. And it changed my entire life. And I, I thank you for that, and it made me dive deeper into questions. It was quite an amazing moment in time. You really know how to showcase people's best qualities of self, and uh, you really inspired a lot of good people to become better question askers, as you did with Alex when he went in to go visit Jessica Alba, and you said, you know what? Don't bring your notebook. And he didn't. And they talked about her mother. And it was magic. So game on, Cal. Game on. Well, uh, thank you for that. I, I got to give uh, the credit in that talk to Kobe. There was, uh, there was so much depth to him that was, frankly, lost under the high-flying acrobatics and that deep desire to grit his teeth and nail the three-pointer at the buzzer and... Underneath it all, he was driven by curiosity. And I actually had several long conversations with him about it. And uh, very grateful. Talk about gratitude. Very grateful that I could have those conversations with Kobe. The more I think back on them, the more powerful they become. And... It's just so hard for me to imagine that like a year ago, if you would have told me, Cal, Kobe Bryant would no longer be with us and everybody in Los Angeles is going to be quarantined in their home and in New York. It's just unimaginable. And yet we're here and we got to move forward and we do it with our best. And so whatever you're best at, if it's making pasta sauce, gathering a group of people, asking some questions, <laughs> that's what you got to do. And everybody should be thinking that way. What are you best at? 
and how can I use it to pivot to the best place? Yep. So it's a kind of a great way to segue to dessert. <laughs> but Chris, let me once again say thank you. It's great to know you. Thank you to your dad. He's wonderful. <laughs> and let's just keep the conversation going. I hope people will jump in on this. We'll figure out a way to show the video, maybe put together a blooper tape. And let's see if we can jumpstart this into connection in the future. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And I can't wait for so much more. Okay, brother. So keep on cooking and I'll keep on eating. And we'll, <laughs> we'll take this to a, to a great place. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks, Cal. Been a pleasure. Cheers. That about wraps it up. Want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast. All the connections that will come out of breakfast, lunch, or dinner with Cal will be because of Tim. So thanks, Tim. You are my hero. Want to thank Chris for joining me on the podcast and remind everybody that his new book, Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection, is going to be out soon. Want to thank Kevin, the manager, for stepping up as maitre d' for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with Cal. And thank you to Sportique for sponsoring Big Questions. Sportique is all about comfort. And if you need some right now, you might want to go to sportique.com. That's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com. And use the offer code Cal for a 20% discount on a soft pair of sweatpants. Want to thank all of you who listen to Big Questions. I hope you'll join me for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Just go to calbusman.com and send me an email that lets me know where in the world you are and what time would be convenient for you to join the conversation and the meal. If you'd like to invite a friend, let them know so they can reach out to me at calbusman.com. And Kevin, the manager, will take their reservations too. I'll probably start the first few meals with six or eight people and then try to expand. I think we can get almost 40 people on a computer screen through Zoom. As any one of you who listen to big questions know, I ain't exactly Mr. Technology, but look at me now, talking about creating a meal over the internet shared around the world. Hope to see you at my internet restaurant in a time of social distancing, I say. It's time to connect. Cheers. <laughs>